In Deuteronomy 5, 1 to 7, Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Thank you very much, Neil. And as we heard that read, the first question we're going to think about today is this. Is that okay? I would say, is it okay that someone says, you can only worship me? Is that all right? I was talking to a Christian friend recently, and she's been having a lot of long discussions with a friend of hers who's not a Christian about her faith. And she said a lot of the ways that she talks about her faith just didn't mean anything to her friend who wasn't a Christian. So she said her friend didn't strongly feel a need for forgiveness. Her friend wasn't missing a purpose in life. Her friend was offended by talk of sort of sin. Her friend was suspicious of the church and all the terrible things you see about the church in the news. So her friend was not an interested friend. But then my friend, my Christian friend, said to me, as we just went on talking about our lives, and I wasn't trying to talk about this anymore, we are just talking about life, my friend began to express something that felt familiar to me. That for all the talk of living your dreams and becoming who you want to be, you actually end up spending your life working for things and people that don't love you, that aren't for you. So-called free choices you make, in her case it was to have a very successful, good professional career, I've discovered I've got there and I'm not free. I'm controlled by that thing that I chose. There's a whole capitalist machinery telling me that that's a worthwhile life and saying, sign up to serve the machinery. But that's not freedom. My friend said, yes, this whole idea that there are powerful soups forces that control your life and those forces don't love you and want the best for you and you're told you're free when in fact you're actually a slave that's the story of the bible that's what it says our lives are controlled not just by forces that we can't control or choose but whole systems that demand our allegiance our effort to their goals so people will say i chose this i really want to say did you there is a system that told you that money is best, or relationships will fulfill you, or success is fulfilling. They've shaped your will so that that's what you think you want. And the Bible says that. The Bible says no matter how secular, how liberal, how free we are, every single person is a worshipper. Now, you may not use that word for those things I've just described, but that's what the Bible means. The things you're looking for security from, that you fear getting on the wrong side of, that uh, you want success and acceptance, that you're a good person from that thing. That's what the Bible means by worship. Now, worship in the Christian tradition, I hope you've experienced this morning, is joyful. Because we think the person we are worshipping is endlessly good. 
But the world is filled with miserable worshippers because they're worshipping things that aren't actually for us at all. The history of these people this book was written to was that they had been in actual slavery under a king who said he was God and commanded worship. They were forced to worship miserably in a system they didn't control. They also were used to living in a world where they were told there were many gods. And of course, in a world where there are many gods, safety or assurance is impossible. If there's loads of gods, as soon as you're pleasing one, you're offending another. There's no assurance you're ever in the right place. And maybe that's a little bit familiar to us too. Maybe you experience that when you worship your family, your career gets offended. When you worship being popular, your schoolwork gets very cross. That's what my friend's friend was saying. Really serving my own dreams would mean not worshipping success in this system, but that's what I find myself doing. The offer of freedom, the offer to walk in freedom in life, is to worship the only one God there is who made you and is for you. And it's a gift to us for him to say, don't worship anything except me. If there is one true God, there's freedom from running around trying to please idols that don't love you. Our lives can have integrity, wholeness, coherence. The one God who is the real God made us for himself. But maybe you're nervous about fundamentalism. This God really, just the one, feels a bit intolerant. But I do want to say, unlike the command to worship a human dictator, which is for the dictator's benefit, or several gods who demand your worship and you're running around trying to please them, this command rang like freedom for the Israelites who first heard it. They knew they were victims of a system of false gods, and it was a pure, refreshing note, an offer to fill our worshipping hearts with soul-satisfying reality, who's for us. So maybe as you think about it, you are actually a bit tired of what you've been worshipping. Idols are like that. They're always taking and never giving back. And this command, as we might read it, a commandment, this word, is actually an offer to you. Is it okay for God to say, worship only me? Of course better than okay, it's a gift. It's more okay to worship the real God who loves you than whatever you're worshipping at the moment. I guess my second question about this is, is it right? It all seems a bit cold and heartless for me to say, yeah, just swap. Swap what you're worshipping at the moment for God. Da-da, job done. Take him instead. There's more to worship than that, isn't there? I'm moved from my heart to adore and treasure and value. Some of us were together last night watching Liverpool play and nobody in that room when that final penalty was scored, I mean, they put us through it, didn't they? (laughs) Nobody in that room when that final penalty was scored, no Liverpool supporter sat there thinking, I should really enjoy what Liverpool have done here instead of worshipping something else. That wasn't what it was like. At the moment of victory, it was just like drawn out. 
draw a lot of us. My, my seven-year-old son took his shirt off and whipped it round his head. <laughs> That's what worship is. You're moved to adore and treasure and value. It's not a calculation. This one's better for me than this one. Something about the rightness of this calls to me, paying my money and raising my voice and travelling everywhere to see them. That's what we mean when we're called to worship God. I don't know whether you've seen this film, Just Mercy. It's a true story, a biopic, 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 never sure how to say that, about a lawyer, Brian Stevenson, who fought for the rights of poor black people who are being abused by the justice system. It's a true story set in the 1980s around a criminal case that he took on. Uh, he's played by Michael Johnson in the film, and I think if I was the actual Brian Stevenson, I'd be quite pleased with that choice of actor. You look at them both. Anyway, it's far more than just a true story about a court case. It's recorded and filmed this true story for me to watch, to ask me a question, to illuminate the world that I live in now, to say to me, look, Racism is real, and you need to do something about it. Well, the Old Testament, bit of the Bible before Jesus, uh, before Jesus appears on the scene, it operates a bit like that. We think it's true, but it's far more than just a recording of historical fact of some people's religious experience. It's here to open up to us things that are relevant to us now through Jesus. It points us to him. So here we are. These people are rescued from slavery. They are out in the desert. And Moses, their leader, is retelling them their story. And he reminds them, he says, we went to a place called Horeb and you got this law. Remember that? Uh, you can read about it in the book of Exodus. God, the real God, stepped down to meet us face to face. He's saying, do you remember that? God, the real God, he was intensely interested in you. He was stooping towards you, offering to meet you on this mountain. But the burning reality, the fire of his eternal love and holiness, it was too much for them. They couldn't cope. And so he says, you were afraid and you wouldn't go up the mountain. Now, that's a historical event, I believe. But it's also a picture of a very common story. You may be in a workplace or a university or a school or whatever, where people are very anti-God talk. Like, no, don't talk, about, don't talk to me about that. Even if people are really suffering and finding things hard, and you, you try and say, I think God might help you. No, no, I don't want any of that, none of that. It's strange, isn't it? Why people would be so against something that if you're a Christian, you feel like would really help them. But it's just this story being played out in our time now that God's fire burns with life and reality and purity, and that's intimidating to people. Some people say to me sometimes, oh, I believe in the Christianity uh, if God appeared personally to me. I'm not sure you would. If even bending low to make his presence tangible terrified people that they wouldn't walk up a mountain, I don't think you'd like it if he appeared before you. And so Moses tells them, as he's telling this story, he says, I stood between you and the Lord at that time. The story is that God called their leader and said, okay, they can't get themselves to come to me. I will stand in the way. Uh, Moses, you stand in the way. And that way I'll be able to get to them. A mediator. 
No, not a mediator. Right? We might talk about it. We go into mediation when like both sides hate each other and they have to like be, you know, told to behave or whatever. Not a mediator in that way. No, God was reaching down to them, but no matter how close he'd got, they were still afraid. So God did what was necessary for them to know him by putting Moses, who was like one of them, in the way. That is always God's mode of operating for people who are hiding from him. The man, Jesus Christ, the New Testament claims, was this same God, God the eternal son of the eternal father. He was this power and love and holiness on display and he became a human being, lowering himself, losing his power, becoming fully human, stepping towards us to mediate, to stand between God and us when we're trying to hide. It's not that God dislikes us and Jesus has to convince him. It's that God becomes a person to get closer, to reach out to you because that's what he's like, to give these life-giving words to us. There is only one God in heaven to worship and that's what he's like. Always reaching down even to people who are hiding. And I love that about the God we see in Jesus. He's so much above us, yet he's so committed to us. Stepping towards us, this perfect mediator, God the Son. And I love the way when he became a human being, he didn't sort of become like the sort of human being we can't approach. I loved, I mean, I love the state opening of Parliament. But I mean, could you have an advert ever of like, there's a whole group of people who have no understanding of what our lives are like. And also they're going to make all the laws. It's like, okay, up the revolution. Uh, Let's not get distracted to talk about that. I actually like the Queen. Anyway, let's move on. When Jesus, the great God, becomes a human, he becomes a peasant, a carpenter, most normal person you could imagine, because he wants to mediate to us, to get right down to you, whoever you are. I mean, you face to face. It's what you'll also find as a Christian, by the way. I'm sure it's what our baptismal candidates find, that as Jesus continues to work through the Holy Spirit, he's constantly doing this. I'm hiding, saying, no, God, I do not want you dealing with this part of my life. And always he seems to find ways of challenging me and moving me on and people talking to me. And today he wants, even today, to be face to face with you to meet you, to be part of your life, to live in fellowship with you. And you see what this all has to do with, it's good for me to worship God because he is the real God, but also I find my heart is moved to worship him when I think, wow, is that what he's really like? The only God in heaven constantly wants to move towards me. The other answer in this passage to is a right to worship God is the way God introduces himself when he's giving them commands in verse six. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I am the Lord. That's God's specific name he gives to his people. And I'm your God, and I've brought you out of slavery. I love that. God says to these people who aren't important, who don't even have a country to call their own, who no one respects, I'll be your God. You could say, I belong to you. I don't know whether you've ever been to a sing-along sound of music. 
I highly recommend it. <laughs> and there's a point. At Sing Along Sound of Music, they play the film of The Sound of Music and the audience sort of react in different ways and shout things out and stuff. And people are wittier than you might think. Uh, particularly the whole second half of the film, which is quite boring. It actually makes it a better experience watching it with a drunk crowd. Uh, anyway, there's a bit in one of the songs where Julie Andrews sings about her new husband, Captain Von Trapp, and she's explaining what it's like to be married to her new stepdaughter, Liesel. And she sings a bit of the song where she says, when, you, when that happens, after it happens, and you meet the person that you're going to marry, then you'll belong to him. And at that point at a single song, sing along sort of music, all modern audiences boo. She does not belong to him. Now I've got a whole question about what's wrong with that. But we have this idea that belonging to someone else would be demeaning to me. Uh, we don't like the humility that comes to that. We don't like the humility of saying, I belong to someone else. God, who made everything, is not ashamed to call people weak, lowly, who get things wrong, and say, I belong to you. I don't mind taking that humble road. I just want to be yours. And while he remains infinite, he is happy. It is his character, it is joy to create relationships of belonging with people. Maybe that explains the exclusivity of it. Uh, generally, the place where we do expect you only to exclusively sort of worship or depend on one person is in marriage. And marriage is, we use a word in the Bible, uses uh, the word covenant, which is what uses here. It's someone giving themselves to you in belonging. And God's saying, if I do that, my expectation is, like a spouse, that you do also try to belong in the same way to someone else. The Lord our God, it is right for him to expect we don't have that type of relationship with another different God. And it's incredible even as you think about where they've come from. They were slaves. Their history was they'd lived under this cruel slave master in a world they couldn't control. And God paid the price that was needed to free them. He fought their enemies for them. He heard them in their distress. He bent his power to break the chains on their behalf. Because he says, I want to belong to you. The Christian church, sadly, has always had a vague relationship with slavery. God himself has never had a vague relationship with it. He hears the cries of the slaves and he judged with anger their enemies, the slaveholders. This picture feeds as well into the way Jesus talked to. He says it's possible on an even bigger scale, death is a terrible slave master hanging over us and threatening us. My life is pressured and controlled by false gods. Perhaps, though, the worst slavery is the slavery to myself. We've been reading in our house recently this book, uh, Beautiful World, Where Are You? It's a novel by Sally Rooney, who I think just reads, writes very honestly about how modern people think and feel. And this is a, a character called Eileen. She's writing to her friend, and she's talking about bumping into her ex-partner on the street, Aidan. And this is what she says. Still, my intuition is that I actually feel worse now, two days after seeing Aidan, than I felt in the moment of seeing him. I know that what happened between us was just an event, 
not a symbol. Just something that happened and something he did. Not a manifestation of my failure in life generally. But when I saw him, it was like going through it all over again. And Alice, I do feel like a failure. And in a way, my life really is nothing. And very few people care what happens in it. It's so hard to see the point sometimes. When the things in life I think are meaningful turn out to mean nothing. And the people who are supposed to love me don't. I have tears in my eyes even typing this stupid email. I'm starting to wonder if I will just never get over it. Maybe certain kinds of pain at certain formative stages in life just change you as a person. I just feel like the kind of person whose life partner would fall out of love with them after several years. And I can't find a way not to be that kind of person anymore. Well, if you are entrapped by feeling like I will never be that except that type of person I don't want to be, I'm telling you that the God of the Bible appeared in the person of Jesus and he bent all of his effort to free you from that slavery. It is hard to see the point when things we think are meaningful turn out not to be and people you think love you don't. But here is Jesus who became a person, lowered himself, died. So there will always be meaning and you will always be loved. Freed from that terrible slavery. He broke the slavery of death by offering us eternal life. He broke the slavery of false gods by giving us everything they offer at his own expense. And he's broken the slavery if you're just tired of yourself. Because God will no longer judge you for those things and he will give you and love that cannot be taken away by anyone else. Jesus, the Lord our God, says, I belong to you. And you can be free from slavery. So it's not just okay to worship him. It's right. It's good. My heart is awakened to do it. That hymn that Luke quoted, I love it. He says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's not demand as in, you must worship me totally to be good. It calls, calls that type of worship out of me because he's so great. He will always be stooping down and he loves to free us from slavery. Well, the last thing, very briefly. Is it good to worship God? I went to university with quite a lot of posh people. And, you know, I like posh people. It's not, it's not their fault. They're posh. They're born that way. We should be kind to them. The people that uh, I think are, you know, harder to deal with are pretend posh people. Yeah, you know. I remember sitting opposite in this uh, sort of welcome meal at university, surrounded by posh people all dressed in black tie. And this woman opposite me uh, turned to me and went, and you went where to school? And I was like, well, I just went to like a state, like school. And she was like, oh. <laughs> turned away and talked to someone else. So I turned to the person sitting with me and I said, where did she go to school? And he rolled his eyes and went, comprehensive Merthyr Tidville. <laughs> Now, what was that? She so admired the posh people, she was becoming like them. She was trying to be like them because 
they were the object of her worship. And the Bible says that you will become like what you worship. If you really admire something or someone, you will become like them. You will begin to take on the features of what you think is admirable. So if you're worshipping a career or a relationship with a person or success, that is a very dangerous game to play. Because you often find that the people at the top of their fields in those areas are not really very nice. But we want to be like them anyway. What if you were, though, to worship someone whose nature is always to step closer to the people who reject him? What if you were to worship a God who always puts people's interests before his own? What if you were to worship someone who hates oppression and slavery? What if the object of worship is this endlessly self-giving, loving, utterly, perfectly wonderful God we see in Jesus? You will change if you're worshipping him. Jesus summarised this law that God gave in two ways. Love God and love your neighbour. And they're not two separate commands. One leads to the other. If you care about justice in the world and there is good to be done, that is going to take a worship change. Your heart is going to have to move to worship a God who is like that. And that is what we're praying for the people who get baptised. Not just a nice experience, but a transformed life as they worship the real God. It's a deep thing to do, to say, I love Jesus and his death for me. To, I will worship God as I meet him in Jesus. In that same hymn I quoted earlier, we're going to sing a verse that says, just says, may my boast and my reflection, may it be all about him. Will that be the shape of my life? Because he is so great, I want that to be coming out of me too. Forbid it, God, that I would ever steal the glory for you from you. Help me be poured out in love for others like you, because you're the one I worship. What brings that radical change, that death to self, that new life to live? It is who or what your God is. Who or what you are worshipping is what you will become like. So I want to say it's okay that God says only worship him. It's right for God to say only worship him. And I want to say it's good for God to say only to worship him. Because if we want to become people who always put others first, it's going to start with who we worship.